Connect My Gen 21. A while back, uh, it was designed um, something I was calling a model home beta. I don't know if I thought of that or if I picked it up someplace, but the idea is like you walk into a model home and wow, it smells like cookies in here, but I guarantee you that oven isn't plugged in. Right. So it was um, all of the interactions on it, all of the, the people commenting and, and the people that you could jump in and start listening. It was all hard programmed. Hello and welcome back to Connect My Gen's podcast. Today is episode number 21. My name is Kyle Kugler and I am the host of CMG's podcast. Now today I have Ian Veenstra and I said his last name correctly. You got it. Yes, I got it. <laughs> all right. So before we go ahead and start, I just wanted to say thank you to all the connectors out there for sticking with us through all of these episodes. Make sure that you go to connectmygen.com and let us know what you think about the show. And I guess you can go to Facebook too. Or Instagram, wherever else we're connected, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that good stuff. So, Ian, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> well, my name is Ian Veenstra. I am the uh, CEO and co-founder of a music technology company called Avec. Um, that's kind of my main thing. My my side thing, I guess you could call it, is I'm also running uh, Ian Veenstra Photography. It's a photography company mostly dealing in aerial photography. So those are kind of my two my two main hustles, as they say. <laughs> awesome. So now you're getting into like your two main hustles that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. When I asked you initial questions about like what exactly we're going to talk about during this episode, you said that your biggest focus right now is trying to stretch your entrepreneurial legs. Yep. What exactly do you mean by that? I, basically getting out there and doing stuff. You know, it's um, everybody thinks that when it comes to entrepreneurship, the best thing is just do it. The, this whole concept of hustle. Um, you've got random ideas. You can sit there and you can not, you can have the idea and not do anything with it, or you can have the idea and just say, screw it. I'm going to work on this. And of course you're probably going to fail. That's how it works. That's, you know, failure is just one step closer to success. But, uh, so stretching my entrepreneurship, uh, muscles, that's really what I'm going for. There is take an idea, build it, work on it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, uh, and also alongside of that, things like networking, getting myself out there more, becoming, you know, a larger person in the community, uh, things like that. Have you always had like that uh, entrepreneurial bug or is it just something that's kind of like grown on you in the past year, a couple years, something like that? Kind of. Um, I, yes, I've <laughs> I always... love that answer. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I've always had the entrepreneurial bug, but just like anything in entrepreneurship, it's kind of pivoted over the years. Um, it started out as kind of more of a uh, inventor's bug, I guess you could say. My uh, my elementary school claim to fame is uh, I, I was I got like the highest rank you could get in the Iowa Invent Iowa competition that they. Oh no way! I, I'm not sure if they still do that now, but. Yeah, it was great. great. What's, uh, what uh, did you invent? I've got to guess. Oh, my sister did the same thing. Yeah, so. yeah. I, uh, it was an edible popsicle stick. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What was it like? It was. Of? It was a really dense cookie. That oh. was pretty much it, and it was really good. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so, so it started out as kind of the the inventor's bug, and then it kind of shifted into the more, um, I guess, realistic version of that, which was engineering. That's uh, what I studied mostly in college. Um, and then kind of later into college, I realized maybe that wasn't the best option for me, the best path for me. And that morphed more into the focus on, um, the, uh, entrepreneurial side of things. And kind of throughout all of that, I've always been a big fan of like the maker community. I've always been, um, interested in idea to product cycle, things like that. Um, so it's, 
it's always been there, but it's gone through different, it's different phases. <laughs> so you currently work out of the mill race yep. here, um, Cedar Falls, Iowa. Can you just explain what the mill race is and just what kind of a resource that is to mm-hmm. you? So the mill race is a co-working space. Um, it's, it is what it sounds like. It's a place where people can go and uh, work in a more office-like environment without having to buy your own office or something like that. And the benefits of it are obviously you've got that environment where you can just go and get work done, um, you know, put in headphones, have zero distractions, all that fun stuff. But then at the same time, it's a it's a more of a community thing. There's lots of people in the area or around you working that you can talk to, that you can connect with, and um, they'll have resources that you might need. You might have resources that they might need. So there's this really nice um, mutual benefit for everyone that works in the area. That's, I mean, I've been there probably probably two or three times. I'd say I don't mm-hmm. work out of the mill race. I do have an office here in the JPEG. Yep. As soon as I graduate, probably going to kick me out. I'll probably <laughs> end up going over to the mill race. Um, but it is a really great resource. And, you know, when I've gone over there, it's just that people are always friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I've kind of noticed that all across the board. I've toured different co-working spaces, like Grind Co-working Space. It was in Chicago. Okay. Really, really cool. The people were awesome. Um, but just the, the atmosphere behind it, I guess, mm-hmm. just that community sense of it. And now you actually belong to something. It's not so enclosed off like the office yeah. that we're in right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I just like it. That's mm-hmm. flat out the truth. <laughs> yeah. I actually started, um, when I graduated, I started in kind of my own little office type mm-hmm. thing. I, obviously I had, I had my home office as well, but, um, it was nice, the little office that I had, but it was closed off to everything. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't getting the, the networking that I needed, which is, you know, it's a huge part of getting involved in the entrepreneurial community is networking and meeting people and connecting and, you know, all the connectors out there and probably know that already, but, um, and you can't really get that <clears throat> if you're in your own little bubble. So one of the reasons why I really wanted you to come on the show is to talk about your photography, your mm-hmm. aerial photography. Yep. <laughs> now me, drones are kick ass. Oh yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's the thing. And like, I, I actually asked my girlfriend for one <laughs> for Christmas and it's one of those little, I think it was like $20, $15, 20. Oh, those like, are so fun though. Probably like three inch by three inch little yeah. guys and just, yep. <laughs> just to drive it around or fly it around. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's fascinating to me. I always liked playing with like RC cars as a mm-hmm. kid. I had those like wind up like airplanes and stuff, um, but it doesn't really amount to the same thing as like a drone, like an mm-hmm. actual drone that you could fly around and take pictures from. Yep. And I've been able to see a ton of pictures that you have that you post mm-hmm. online and they're just awesome. They Thank really you. are awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that. And I just, I just want to know how exactly do you get the shots that you do? Like what, what is your strategy behind going out there and just taking a picture? So I got a drone a few years back. So a lot of it is experience with it. Um, after you've been flying the drone, you know, the camera on the drone, I shoot with a, uh, a 3dr solo with a, um, GoPro hero four on it. Um, which does not make the editing process easy, but, <laughs> um, once you, once you get the hang of it, you kind of know, um, like take the GoPro, for example, it, it's got that fisheye lens on it, right? Which in some situations is really cool, especially if you're very, very high up and you want to see as much as possible. Other situations when you're trying to get in a little bit closer, you don't want that warping. It just, it makes the picture weird. So in the post process, in editing, you fix that with lens correction tools, um, but it, it crops off the edges. So when you're framing things, you got to make sure you're taking that into account. 
Um, so a lot of it is just experience, um, understanding kind of the, the core photography rules um, of composition, lighting, things like that, and then knowing your tools um, and knowing your post process really helps make sure that you get the shot that you intended as opposed to taking 50 shots and then you get home, put it on the computer and like, none of these are good, <laughs> which happened many times when I was first starting. <laughs> how, how long do shoots normally last when you go mm -hmm. out there? Is it just until the battery dies of the drone or <laughs> until you get cold or how does that work? Well, uh, in the winter, it's, it's usually until I get cold, which happens pretty quick, especially when you're trying to, you know, fiddle with the controls oh, and yeah. um, you can't wear super thick gloves when you're doing that. But um, I have three batteries, which gives me about an hour of, of flight time. Um, most of my shoots last about 40 minutes. Um, so it's, it's not too bad. Yeah. Awesome. Get up there, take the photos, get down, review them. And then you've got that third battery just in case you're like, uh, I, my, you know, my exposure was way off or something. Um, so if like somebody out there was interested in getting into aerial photography, mm -hmm. specifically with drones, what would you say would be like the hardest part about either getting into it or the hardest part about actually doing it? Probably. It, I mean, it depends on what your goals are. If it's just for your own fun, just to learn to fly a drone, learn to take photos, all that stuff then um, it's a pretty low barrier to entry. Um, you can get drones now pretty cheap. The, the 3DR drone is a fantastic drone. It, it has its bugs every now and then, but it's a, it's a great drone, and they're dirt cheap nowadays, like crazy, crazy cheap. Um, uh, if you've got a GoPro, then if, if you don't have a GoPro, then it gets a little more expensive. But if you're wanting to do commercial photography, that's where things get really um, mucky because there's a lot of rules, a lot of legal stuff. The FAA has a lot of restrictions. Um, so probably one of the toughest part is making sure you understand the rules and the laws surrounding flying a drone. Um, when you're flying it recreationally just for fun, there's still rules you have to follow, especially things like obviously don't fly around an airport. Like you don't want to run into a plane. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then uh, things like height limits and, um, when you can fly it, you can't fly at night, that sort of thing. And then when you're flying commercially, um, you have to you have to be a licensed commercial pilot to do that. You have to go through essentially a knowledge test. Um, it's kind of like ground school for becoming an actual pilot. Um, and once you get that certification, then you can start getting paid for your work. Um, otherwise, it's very illegal. <laughs> they do not take that lightly. Uh, so it, most of it's just the legal side of things. I and think. that would be like the toughest part about getting into it or the toughest part about actually doing it or both, I guess. A little bit of both because you see quite often people will go out and they'll buy a drone and they'll be excited or they'll get one for Christmas and they'll be excited and they'll go and fly it. And that's usually when they do something very illegal because they're just unfamiliar with the rules. Um, otherwise, it, just getting into it um, to get a really good drone, they're still pretty darn pricey. Um, I love an Inspire too. Those are those look like a, a fantastic drone. They're like three thousand to five thousand bucks or something like that. Oh so go with the you know the three DR right now is like four hundred bucks. I think so. <laughs> go that option, save up, and then get an Inspire. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I don't know. Like my first car was like thirty two hundred or something. Yeah. Like, like I yep. couldn't imagine buying a. A drone, a drone. <laughs> up in the air but i mean if you're if that's almost like your business that's what you're doing yeah. to make money more power to you but mm -hmm. wow that's crazy one of those things you work yourself up to i think <laughs> I, yeah I would. <laughs> could you possibly share just like 
uh, one of your worst stories that you've ever had with flying a drone? Hmm. I'm just going to leave that open to whatever it comes. Yeah. To yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So this is actually fairly recently, probably my biggest scare when I was flying a drone. Cause I've crashed the thing a bunch. Like I've had it, I've had it. Do lose. they break easy or no? Uh, it depends on the crash. I've had crashes where I was maybe 50 feet in the air and the wind took it really weird and it sent itself into a, it was trying, like, it's a smarter drone. It was trying to correct itself, but it was doing a bad job of it and it just <laughs> spiraled itself into the ground. I've had, um, actually it was like one of the first times I flew it. I had, uh, it was just sitting there maybe five feet off the ground and one of the props pinged off. Oh, and so I just see a prop go flying and the whole drone flips over and falls. <laughs> but and then there's, you know, GPS will disengage and hit a tree or something like that. But it, it's a pretty sturdy drone. Most of the time, you just have to replace the props because they get all chewed up and bent. Um, so the the scariest thing that happened to me probably was, was recently I was doing a photo shoot in Minneapolis. And I decided I wanted to take some photos of the new Viking Stadium because I love the building. It's a very... Is it really... Is it cool in there? I haven't been. I haven't been in it. No, oh, I was taking photos on the outside. outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if they'd allow a drone to fly around inside. It's probably big enough to... Probably. Oh, definitely. There. Definitely. <laughs> um, so I was I was flying around it, and I was standing a fair bit away. And just to clarify for anyone who does fly drones and stuff, there was no game going on. Um uh, stadiums are crazy, crazy strict. No fly zones. Half hour before a game, during a game, and half hour after a game, just because large amounts of people they don't want things flying around and all that. Makes sense. Um, so there was no game going on. The, the airspace was open, um, and I was taking photos. And basically, I was doing a big circle around the stadium, taking photos at different angles, trying to get all the cool shapes of the the building. And um, I wasn't paying super close attention to the actual drone, and it, and it passed behind the building. So I lost line of sight between the drone and my controller, which when you do that with a giant metal and glass and huge building like that, mm -hmm. the signal goes out immediately. Now... The drone is smart. It knows if the signal goes out, goes out, it's just going to come back to where it took off from and land itself. Um, the problem was, I didn't know if I had set my. It's called a return to home altitude. I didn't remember if I'd set that to 200 feet or 400 feet. 400 feet being the maximum legal height you can fly a drone. Because 400 feet, fine, it flies up, it goes over the building, it comes back. 200 feet, it actually goes down a little bit and flies straight into the building. <laughs> and for a split second, I was freaking out. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This, I've, <laughs> I've got a drone. I'm, I just recently like, had gotten my, uh, my commercial certificate and all that sort of stuff. Like, if this drone hits this brand new building and, <laughs> and screws something out, first, you know, first of all, 200 foot drop onto concrete there's no way the drone survives right um but also people are gonna get angry at me <laughs> and so i was i started like running to try to um to try to reacquire uh signal on the drone and and then i was looking and, and luckily it was set to 400 feet and i saw it like just <laughs> casually cruise over the top of the building i was like oh thank god <laughs> but yeah that is oh my gosh there's just there's so many i like asking those types of questions just because there's People just have the funniest things that happen to them. And I mean, yep. like, at the time, you're like, oh, my God, this is just going to not ruin me. But it's yeah. like you just got your license, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it's just, you know. It could I'm be just sitting, yeah, because, yeah, you know, my, my company, Avec, is is not actively making enough money for me to pay myself. So so the photography stuff is kind of my income plan. So it's like, crap, 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 don't, don't destroy my drone. <laughs> like, 
So to transition into something else, can yeah. I you just say the key word? Yeah, yeah. And that key word is Avec. Mm-hmm. So we actually first met at Startup Weekend. Yep. The last Startup Weekend, which was, what, like two uh, months that ago? That was three months Something ago? like that, two, yeah. No, it was in December, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It yeah, was early, so it was early it was December. Like a little over a month ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> month anniversary. There we go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was immediately drawn into your startup called Avec. Mm-hmm. Can you just share what that is with yeah. the connectors out there? Yeah. So Avec is a music technology company. The idea behind it is we want to make everyday music streaming more social. We want to increase that social component. Um, and the way we do that is by allowing our users to create personalized local radio stations. Um, you start playing music, it starts broadcasting to your community uh, for other people to join in in real time. And then from there, you can start conversations, you can find other fans of the of the same sort of music you're a fan of, um, and, and really just build community and social uh, stuff <laughs> around music. And yeah, that's, I guess, the, the quick... How exactly did you like come up with that idea? Mm. Um, it originated as uh, I was walking down the street and someone passed me with headphones on and they looked like they were jamming out a little bit. And I thought, hey, that'd be kind of cool if I could build an app that, that essentially was like people's personal theme song or something. Mm-hmm. So that when you pass them, you like hear their music or you hear their theme song. And I got to thinking about the logistics of the location stuff, like getting that accurate. It would be crazy. And what if you're in New York and there's like, 100 people around you that'd be insane um so i kind of dropped the idea for a bit and later thought okay well what if we just shift this more into making it so when you're listening to music other people can listen in with you you know it's great for um you're caravanning with friends or something everybody can be listening to the same music um you can have uh you can follow people your favorite artists listen to what their favorite music is things like that before the episode, we were actually talking a little bit more about the idea that I'm running through right now, mm-hmm. um, which I might talk about it later. Oh, do I get to become the interviewer now? <laughs> possibly, possibly ask me. Oh, okay. I'll talk about it. Um, but I'm not really sure if I want to either develop an app for this idea mm-hmm. or just keep it on a website. Yeah. And I know it'd almost be dumb. I think to not be an app because so many people use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still going through that customer discovery phase of figuring out if this is, I don't want to say an older person kind of deal or if this is a younger person kind of yeah. deal. But through the research right now, it's pointing towards 16 to 25 year olds. So I'm thinking that an app would probably be the best mm-hmm. for this. So I guess art is Avec an actual app or is it a website or how is mm-hmm. it working? And was it actually hard to develop it? regardless of what it is? Uh, well, we went through that same kind of customer discovery side of things to try to figure out, again, what's our you know primary age demographics. And um, and we came to the same conclusion. Younger demographics probably are going to be one using their phone more. Um, and so we're working on an app. It's not, um, we haven't released anything yet. We're still in development. Um, and I'm, I can probably talk about that a little bit more in a second here. But um it's definitely a platform that we can adapt to a web situation as well. That way, maybe you're at work or something, you can you can uh, just pull it up in a different tab and still get the same features without having to listen from your phone. Um, that probably wouldn't be difficult to do. And there's ways to even build apps that um, are just pretty much clones of a website. You know, um, 
instead of using native app development for like iOS and, and Android, you use just HTML development, um, things like PhoneGap, stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we're, we're right now, probably our, our largest challenge with it has been finding a developer in the first place. They're of very high demand as is, but then when you, um, when you tell them, oh, hey, by the way, we can only pay you in equity right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've had I've had a few Skype uh, interviews where it seems like I say that and they just kind of like close their laptop lid. And, well, okay, bye. <laughs> but, so, what are like the channels that you actually have to go through to get like a developer like that? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you find them? Yeah. I know that you said that they're in such a high demand. Me, for instance, like I could think of probably two people, but they're so heavily involved in their either the company that they work for or yep. their own project yep. that it would be even difficult for me to find somebody. So. I don't want to say I'm going through the same thing because I'm very early stage compared to you, but what kind of channels have you had to go through to try and find help for your business? Mm-hmm. There's a few different options you can take, and it, and it kind of depends on what your budget is and how much time you want to spend on it, things like that. Uh, so probably the quickest and easiest but most expensive option is to contract the workout. Um, you can go to sites like Upwork where you basically say, here's the idea, here, here's all this information, and you hire someone on either at an hourly rate or a project rate, and basically just they'll do the project. Um, obviously, the downsides of that is you may not have someone who's on board fully to handle things like support and updates. Mm-hmm. So that could be a good option if you're just trying to get a minimum viable product out there, just something to start building up um, users. But like I said, it's going to be really expensive. You're looking at probably any, anywhere from like eight to 15 grand or something like that. Um, the next step is to try to find um, just a developer uh, going through friends and family and um, especially at a, if you're at college, there's probably people out there who would be willing to help out, maybe even join you as an actual. Especially student. like if they're wanting to build up their portfolio. Yes, yeah. It's a great opportunity for that because they're in college. You as the the startup may not necessarily be needing someone to do full-time work, um, especially if you are also in college. Like, there's no way you're working on your startup full-time because you <laughs> got to graduate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, finding other people. There's there's websites out there that can help with that Um the the popular one is cofounderslab.com that one i've had mixed results with that's you you occasionally find actual people there otherwise you might find people who represent other people um and so like you hire them they outsource your work to somewhere else which i'm not a huge fan of but that's just me um that's weird that's weird to me that you would as a co-founder you would give up equity in your business just for somebody else to give it off to somebody else to say that they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. With those ones, they try to tell you like, Oh, we have experience in this. We can help with other things like marketing and blah, blah, blah. And then they become kind of the project man or like the development manager, I I guess. Um, I don't know. I I wouldn't recommend doing that, especially if you're very new and very strapped on cash because a lot of times they'll, they'll want an hourly rate as well. Um, the, the third option, which is the least expensive, but it's going to take the most time is actually what Avec is doing. Um, we spent many months trying to find a developer who fit our criteria and would and would work for equity and, you know, never, never, um, just hire someone because after a few months you've discovered, oh yes, finally someone who'd be willing to work for equity. If they don't fit for your company, if they're not 
they don't have the skills needed. They don't, you know, they're not a quote unquote culture fit or anything like that. Right. Don't hire them just because they'll do equity. Um, so I actually took it upon myself to become the developer. And that's, that's where we're at right now is, uh, I'm learning iOS Swift development. Um, it's a slow process obviously, but I'm making a lot of progress. Um, and, and developing a VEC as I go, basically. It's you know, it's definitely a fun experience because I'm able to learn something new, go back and tweak something in the actual development of a VEC and, and change stuff and, and see how both myself and the app is getting better. But like I said, it's that's going to take a while, and that's where we're at. So a VEC is, is very slow but steady progress right now. <laughs> so actually learning how to code, mm-hmm. that... I've tried in the past. Yeah. I can't do it. You can't? I can't do it. Or are you just it's, saying you can't? Dude. You can do I it, don't, man. No, 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 no. <laughs> I tried to force myself. Yeah. Couldn't do it. I actually wanted to try it one time or twice or three times. Yeah. And tried it, and I just couldn't do it. And it's just, it's learning a different language. It is. And yeah. it's devoting the time to do it. Yeah. And I wish that I could do it, but I don't know if I just don't have the patience for it. So kudos to you for <laughs> doing it. But patience would, slash uh, patience. desperation. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say would be, um, how do I want to word this? I guess a few tips of somebody who's mm-hmm. wanting to learn how to code. Um, like you said, it's a slow process, but what's, yep. what's because it is a slow process, you're taking your time, you're learning it like the right way. Um, what would you say to somebody out there who's in the same boat yeah. that wants to be their own developer or they need to be their own developer, bootstrap it? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's getting you through this process? Yeah. Um, first off, I'd say make sure you're going to the right place to learn. Um, I don't know, when you were trying to do it, what were you using as your sources for learning? Were you trying to take a class? Were you going online? It was, like a, it was you... online and it was a, like a free intro class. Deal. Okay. And there was a bunch of different courses that you can take throughout it Mm -hmm. and i just could not do the introduction stuff okay and i think it was just because i wanted when i forced myself to do it if you force yourself it's the same thing for school if you're going to force yourself to do something you're not going to apply yourself you're not going to want to do it yeah um and that came after i actually wanted to do it um but when i was actually wanting to do it it was just to the point like okay, so you got to remember this and you got to do this. And I'm like, well, shit, why don't I just go to an HTML builder like <laughs> a Wix.com or, yeah, or yeah. you know, something like that and literally just click and drag. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say do the same thing, but it can do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I currently use for all of my sites. And, I mean, I have contact forms. I have yep. this and that. I have, I'm, I'm on an app right now <laughs> because of it, you know. does everything and automatically, yeah. There's There's – all that sort of stuff that's out there for me to not know how to do it. And that's where it got really tough for me to actually learn it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I yeah. should try it again. I don't know. Well, it, whether you got to have to, you got to have to want it for one mm-hmm. thing. Um, the other thing is when you're working on development and working on learning code, there's this spectrum that you are at, I guess when you mm-hmm. first start, it sucks because you've got the, the most common thing people do as like the very first thing to do in a programming language is something called hello world, um, which is just make the computer say hello world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some languages, that's like three or four lines of code. Um, those languages are inefficient. But <laughs> but the point is you start with 
lots of work to do a very, very simple thing. And that bugs people, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, you put in a few hours and you get this kind of stupid little you know, result that you're not super impressed with. But as you continue to learn more and more and more, you eventually get to the point where you can do, um, you know, if we, if we start talking about like machine learning and um, algorithms and, and all that fun stuff, you get to a point where it's like you do 30 lines of code and now you've got a now you've got a system that can like siphon through all this data and spit out predictions and all this fun stuff and you see really really cool results for not a ton of effort. Um, so you gotta you gotta stick with it long enough to the point where you can start seeing that sort of result and that's really really uh, affirming I guess uh, it, it really helps to to love what you're doing. Um, the other thing I would suggest is like I was saying earlier, make sure you're going to good places to learn. Um, a lot of people will do like YouTube tutorials, which is great. I love YouTube tutorials. It's like how I learned how to edit basically. But, um, with coding, you really need a structured program. Um, that doesn't mean you have to go back to school and, um, and take an actual class, but it means like go to, say i i use a a course on a site called udemy um and it was it was like a 300 hundred dollar course that they were having a sale on and it was like 20 bucks at the time and i've found out now that i'm on udemy a lot they're always running sales like you can get these really really nice courses for 20 bucks or less pretty much always they're like oh this sale's about to end and then you get an email the next day like welcome to our new sale (laughs) (laughs) um so it, it's a really nice course where they they step you through not only the education side of it, the, but they give you tons of example um, apps and things like that that you can develop and and see how what you're learning is um, coming to fruition and and you get to see all your hard work actually pay off. That's awesome. You can see the progression, mm-hmm. I guess. And I think that that might be one of the problems too is that you're just like, hello world. Cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do, do with this? Yeah, and you're sitting there and you've got this idea of, um, uh, you know, you've got everything already mapped out in your head of this amazing app or this amazing thing that you want to build, and you're sitting there like, I can just make it say hello world. <laughs> <laughs> I need more. <laughs> so what exactly is your end goal with Avec? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the obvious exit plan is to um, have it be bought out by one of the bigger music streaming companies. It's a... Uh, it, it's definitely a risk building a a feature for another company, um, but it is something that also works standalone. It's we're not trying to build a new music streaming platform. That would be stupid. It's kind of startup suicide nowadays to say, "Oh, I'm going to host music files" because yeah. you're going to get slammed with copyright and um, licensing fees and things like that. So we layer on top of the existing services. Um, so there's ideally it would be we've got this product, we've built it up for a little bit. And then one of the companies that we're layered on top of is like, Hey, we want to just integrate you into us. Um, that would be the ideal exit. Awesome. Do you have any idea of like when that possibly could be? (laughs) Not exactly. Um, (laughs) like when the actual exit is Yeah. no idea. Obviously it takes a little bit of time to um, build up your customer base, um, and all of your users and all, and tweak it and make it better and things like that. You know, the MVP is going to be crap. <laughs> it's just how kind of how it works. But um, hopefully um, hopefully in the next couple months or next few months we can start looking at maybe some closed beta testing. Um, we, we do have a beta product that we tested 
a while back. Uh, it was designed um, something I was calling a model home beta. I don't know if I thought of that or if I picked it up someplace, but the idea is like you walk into a model home and wow, it smells like cookies in here, but I guarantee you that oven isn't plugged in. Right. So it was um, all of the interactions on it, all of the, the people commenting and, and the people that you could jump in and start listening it was all hard programmed, but we didn't we didn't tell our beta testers that, and if you're one of the beta testers listening, I'm sorry for the uh, <laughs> deception, but we, you know, we had to test the psychology of it. Um, we had to make sure it was something that people actually wanted, and before we put in the massive amount of time and money into building up servers and databases and things like that, we just hard code everything. And that's that's what a minimum viable product is. It's something to test your assumptions, and um, yeah, that's what we did. Something I actually recently just went on vacation with my family up mm-hmm. to Vermont. Got to have a little family reunion. Nice. Saw families for the first time in eight years. It's been a long time. <laughs> wow. So we were driving. We actually landed in Boston. And when we were driving up to Vermont to, mm-hmm. to meet with aunt and uncles and all that stuff and cousins, um, we had the radio going. And it was pretty dang quiet. But mom was trying to sleep. We were up since like 3 a.m. Okay? <laughs> and now it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Mom's trying to sleep in the front seat. Dad's driving crazy because he's trying to keep up with traffic. Yeah. Sisters and I are like, come on, let's turn up the music, all this sort of stuff. And I honestly got thought about your company, Avec, and mm-hmm. how you could almost take that radio station and somehow I could, with an app or something, listen into that local radio station, put in some earbuds, and I can listen to it independently, mm-hmm. louder if I want to, or quieter if I want to. Yeah. And they can change it at the same time. So you're almost tapping into that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of exists already. It for for existing radio, just your ra- standard FM radio station, things like that, you can you can get apps that um, it's still internet-based, but they, they pipe the same um, content just through the internet, and you can you can get it that way. I think, yeah, I, I just thought about that sort of thing and I was mm-hmm. like I can just relate it back to a back and yeah. how I can see it in my own life and how that's why I was like I think this actually is like a thing and yeah. some a bigger music company will buy that mm-hmm. eventually you know yeah so you, it's interesting that you bring up like road trips because one of the features we would like to implement is essentially um as you're listening to other people or as other people are playing music you can promote them and the people who are the most promoted kind of rise to the top of of the list and so a feature we want is like a road trip mode where you're driving along and obviously you're changing location a bunch so your available um, local radio stations are going to change and so you just set it to to skip between the top people wherever you're at so as you're driving along you can kind of see how like let's say you're driving um, uh, south you can start to see how like the influences of country music start to pop in more and um, you get this really dynamic the music is traveling with you kind of experience. It's awesome. Hmm. It's more in depth than I thought. Oh yeah. It. Oh yeah. If we, if we had more time, I would go over all the random features we want, but <laughs> Ian, you have officially made it through the regular part of the episode. Great. Do you know what time it is? I think I do. What time is it? Uh, the, uh, oh, crap. I'm th- blanking on the name life experience or something like that. It's life decision time. Life decision. Life decision. I was so close. (laughs) Close. Actually, I'm actually pretty proud of you. I think that you're the one person got it correctly the very first time that Mm -hmm. I said it. But you were definitely in second place. I got the first word. That's (laughs) that's fifty percent right. (laughs) All right. So the only rule about life decision time is that I have to read it word for word, so I do not screw it up. I understand. Are you ready? Yes. Hundred percent. Are you ready? I don't think so. Okay. Well, (laughs) this is on you then. (laughs) All right. I'm ready to go. So, 
You are walking. Or you are working. I've already screwed it up. You are working. <laughs> you were reading from it. <laughs> you are working just like any other day, but you run into a situation where someone comes up to you and asks you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You explain your business and your day-to-day work to them. They're in awe, and they ask you why you're an entrepreneur. Without hesitation, you share three reasons why you're an entrepreneur and why they should be one as well. I'm going to I'm gonna take all the uh, stereotypical ones and lump them into one, okay? So those are the uh, those are the things like you get to be your own boss, hooray! Um, you get to set your own hours, hooray! You can sleep in if you want. Uh, you can uh, you don't have, if you're an internet based company like myself, you don't really have to worry about vacation because you can work anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those typical ones, they're great, but they're kind of the you know romanticized ver- things. Um, I'm gonna put those into one of those three. Boom, got one. Okay, um, number two, um, the community is great. Uh, I, that's, you will not find a more, um, dedicated, hardworking, passionate bunch of people than the entrepreneurial community. And one of the great things about it is everybody in the community, or at least most people are genuinely interested in helping you. Um, they, they want to take their own skills, their own abilities and apply them towards your thing as well, which is great. I think one of the, the first networking things I went to, I was talking to, um, Andy, Andy Stoll, 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 Stoll yeah. Um, and it, it kind of blew me away cause he asked me what I was doing. And then his first, first thing he said was, and how can I help? I was like, Whoa, that's not something you hear that often, <laughs> but um, so the community, the people, um, it's great. They're, it's just a, a fantastic bunch of people. Um, third, I guess there's, there's really no other career path that you can take that affords you as much variety and opportunities. Um, you can do really whatever you want. You have an idea, you can execute on it, and um, hopefully it works. If not, you failed and learned something hopefully. <laughs> and, um, but not only that, you can, since you have this community and these networking opportunities and things like that, you find someone who has a good idea that you know you can contribute to, you can jump on board with that. Um, there's just tons of opportunity that uh, you don't see as much in the quote-unquote real-life jobs, um, especially if you're working at a company where they're like, hey, if you create anything whether it's at work or outside of work it belongs to us that's our intellectual property right that that bugs me <laughs> well dang man that's uh i'm gonna go after it again it is a mic drop moment nice. please do not drop my mic no i wouldn't so. these are these look like nice mics <laughs> <laughs> well seriously thank you so much for coming out and talking yeah, today no those problem. are all the it's questions that i have for you um are there any ways that if somebody's interested in um, you know, aerial photography, entrepreneurship in general, mm-hmm. VEC, anything like that. Is there any way that they could reach out to you? Yeah. Um, you can find me on Facebook, just Ian Veenstra. You can find me on, I guess I am on Twitter. I almost never use it. So. I deleted it. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably should do that too. <laughs> um, LinkedIn, Instagram. Follow me on Instagram if you're interested in aerial photography. You'll see all my stuff. Very good. Let's see. Otherwise, avecapp.com, ianveenstra.com. I've got uh, I've got a blog on Medium. I don't do it very often, but there's a there's a really good one on there about like getting started with drones. If you're cool. if you're really interested, it goes over the um, the legal stuff, the um, you know getting started stuff, as well as just kind of drone etiquette. Like, don't fly your drone near windows. Come on, <laughs> like it just looks creepy. <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else that you want to say? I don't think so. I think we've covered enough. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming out today. Well, thanks man. for having me. I really appreciate it.